Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning, church. Today we begin our new series in the book of John entitled Beyond the Signs. As we begin, uh, let me open with asking you a question. What are signs for? What is for direction? Yes. That's the purpose of a sign. They're pointers. They're guides. Uh, The sign itself is not the destination. They point to the destination. Signs lead us to something else. They lead us to something that's more than the sign itself. They lead us to something beyond the sign, which is the name of our new series. We'll cover six signs or six miracles performed by Jesus. Miracles are sometimes referred to as signs because they point to something greater. We would think that anybody here ever experience a miracle in your life? We would think that when we experience a sign that uh, we would remember God is real and be drawn to him. Yes? However, that's not always the case. Uh, In terms of experiencing signs and our responses, there are, are, generally speaking, four different kinds of responses, four different categories of people. The first category of people are those who don't acknowledge signs and what they reveal. They don't acknowledge signs. Years ago, I was uh, on a road trip with Terry. We went to Canada. We were driving to a place called Banff. Uh, next to Guam, it's the second most beautiful place on the island. And it's in that uh, mountain range that divides the continental U.S. And uh, up in Canada, there's just a beautiful place there, emerald lakes, just uh, Cascade Mountains, evergreen forest, beautiful place. We were on our way on this road trip, and I pulled over at a rest stop, and we were just enjoying being out in nature, stretching our legs, got back on the road. About five minutes down the road, uh, we looked at a sign, somewhat like this one up here. We're going to put that up. And that's kind of what the, the landscape looks like in that area. And I saw the sign, and I said to Terry, I said, man, can you believe it? These Canadians, they put up the wrong sign. Amazing. It took me 20 minutes and 20 miles down the road before I figured out the signs were right and I was wrong because I thought I knew where I was going. Spiritually speaking, there are people on the road of life making the very same mistake. Remember Pharaoh and the 10 plagues of Egypt? Even after many signs and wonders, Pharaoh refused to accept what the signs were telling him. There are people whose hearts are so hard, it doesn't matter what sign, it doesn't matter what miracle, it doesn't matter uh, at all, they they don't want to hear the message. So that's the first category of people, those who don't acknowledge signs and the message that they bring. Second are those people who settle for the sign itself. You know, when you're going down the road and you see a sign that says Disneyland, 100 miles, You don't stop and get out and take a selfie as if you have arrived. Okay, the sign is telling you the destination is beyond. And yet there are signs that people experience. I mean, that sounds kind of silly. And yet in a a real way, that's kind of what people do. There are signs that people experience and they settle for the sign. Let me give you an example. This is an amazing sign. 
That is the galaxy Andromeda. It is the next closest, closest galaxy to our own. But there are people who would take a picture of that and go, wow, that is really cool, and stop right there, not realizing that is pointing to something else. So there are those who don't acknowledge the signs or their message. There are those who settle for the sign. And then there are those who see the sign for what it is, and they see what it means, and they see where it's pointing, and they embrace the message. Remember the 10 lepers? Two of them came back to say thank you. Some people are so touched by God's love and his power, they desire to be with Jesus. Now, I'm sure the other eight lepers, they were also thankful, but they didn't take time to come back and be with him. And then there's a fourth category. Some people are just forgetful and fall back into living a routine based on what they can see and do. You know, the Israelites were a good example of this. Remember what happened to them? They went through all these signs and wonders in Egypt. They were on the way to the promised land. And then how did they respond when they ran into difficulty? They ran out of water and they turned to Moses in anger and said, why did you bring us out here? Did you bring us out here to die? And it's almost as if they forgot about what God could do. They forgot about the message from the signs that were revealed back in Egypt. We can find ourselves in these four kinds of people. Now, regardless of how we may have responded in the past, God's goal moving forward is that he wants to draw us closer to his son, Jesus. As you experience the miracles of God in your life, he wants to draw you closer and closer to himself. That's the goal of this series, Beyond the Signs. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you give us signs. Father, I thank that you've not left us in the dark, Lord, but there are signposts, there are indicators, just enough, Father, for us to be able to respond in faith and to trust you. I pray, God, that you would help us be a people that responds in a way that honors you. Father, I pray that we would embrace your work and your message. And Lord, just be fathomed and be floored by the meaning of what those signs mean. That you would actually, the God of the universe, that you would actually speak to us and interact with us. And Father, I pray that you would draw us closer to you as we go through this series. Lord, would you bless and anoint your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would follow along with me, we're in John chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. This is reading from the New Living Translation. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Verse 5, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish, Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. 
Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Today, I would like to highlight just two simple principles from this story about the wedding in Cana. The first principle is involve Jesus. You'll notice that Jesus was invited to the party. And this is the first of many stories showing that Jesus was welcome among those who were having a good time. Jesus didn't spoil the party. In fact, the religious leaders accused him of being a friend of sinners. Secondly, there was an, when there was a need, notice what Mary did. Now, if you were in that situation, you were at a big party. And in Jewish culture, weddings were not just, weddings were bigger than how we celebrate here on Guam. And we think we do a pretty good job, don't we? I mean, when we go to a wedding reception, oftentimes it's big and it's loud and it's fun. But most wedding, reception, wedding receptions here on Guam, they last maybe four, five, maybe seven hours at the most. But in Jewish culture, when they had a wedding, it was festivities that lasted an entire week. It was a big-time party, and it wasn't just for family and friends, but it was a community event. Big celebration. And so imagine being in that situation, and they're running out of drink. What would you do? I mean, I would probably go to the head organizers of the family and inform them, hey, you're running low on whatever, right? But what did Mary do? Mary didn't go to the parents of the family. Mary went to Jesus. For most people, when there's a need, the first thing that we'll ask ourselves is, what friends and family members can I go to to help me? That's often our first choice, isn't it? But in this example that we're looking at in this story, the role model is not to go to other people that we know, but to go to Jesus. When I was in college at the University of Hawaii, I had determined in my heart that I was going to make it on my own. Not necessarily a good thing. It was pride that was preventing me from calling home and saying, Mom and Dad, bail me out <laughs> when I had difficulty. But you know, that situation forced me to press into God and to pray and to seek Him and to wait on Him. I remember just there was tons of stories that happened in that four-year period, but I'll just share one of them. I wanted to go on a missions trip to the East Coast in the U.S., and I didn't have the money. I had a tax return that I had filed, and I was expecting $50 back. When the tax return finally got to me, it was $500. The guy who was discipling me, his name was John. I said, whoa, check this out, $500. I said, I think they made a mistake. He said, don't question it, man. It was in the heavenlies. <laughs> I said, okay, you're my mentor. <laughs> and then Transworld Airways, TWA, had a sale from Honolulu to New York for $500. Right. 
and I was able to go work during the summer, earn enough money to fly back. It was an amazing time. The first thing we need to do is we need to involve Jesus. And we need to turn to him in those moments of need. The second principle is this. Notice what Mary said to the servants. She said, do whatever he tells you. And that's the second thing. If you need a miracle, all you have to do is do whatever he tells you. Are you needing a raise at work? Then just do whatever he tells you. He may say, come on time. He may say, go the extra mile. He might say, honor those who are in authority. Are you needing some peace in relationships? Do whatever he tells you. (laughs) He might tell you, be humble and apologize. (laughs) Are you wanting to be used by God? Then you need to do whatever he tells you. And this is a principle. This is a constant principle in the kingdom of God. Obedience precedes the miraculous. And you'll see it throughout many, many stories in Scripture. One example, one of my favorites, is the story of Moses. God appears to Moses in a burning bush. Man, that's a sign and wonder right there. And then Moses, although God is amazing in his revelation, he still has doubts. Doubts about his ability. His focus is all on himself. Doubts about how they're going to receive him, how they're going to respond to him, what is he going to say, on and on. And then... God says to him, "Uh, here's how you're going to know that I'm in it. He said, you're going to go to Egypt. You're going to rescue my people. You're going to escape from Egypt. You're going to come back and you're going to worship me on this mountain. And then you will know that it was me. I just want you to think about that for a moment. The kind of faith journey that requires when God is leading you to do something. Don't we sometimes want to guarantee up front? Lord, I need to know first. And sometimes God is saying, no, you need to step out and trust me first, and then I will confirm. And that's what happened in Moses' case. You will go all the way there, you will come all the way back with all the people, and then you will know. And that's an amazing experience when you experience God. The obedience of Moses was prerequisite to the liberation of Israel. What is the miracle in this particular story at the wedding in Cana. Now, we know he changed water into wine, but what kind of miracle is that? It wasn't a healing. It wasn't raising somebody from the dead. It wasn't deliverance from an enemy. So what was it? In this case, Jesus altered matter. Jesus changed the elements, and he didn't even speak. He just willed it, and it happened. A miracle is a surprising and welcome event which cannot be explained by natural or scientific laws, and therefore it is considered to be a work of God. Uh, A less formal definition might be a miracle is in the eyes of the beholder. You know, you can go around living life as if nothing is a miracle, or you can go around living life as if everything is a miracle. Changing the elements is not the first time this kind of miracle took place. Moses, when he was in Egypt, took his staff, put it in the river Nile, and the water turned to blood. 
Chuck Smith, the founder of Calvary Chapel, had a conference in California one year. And a young lady attended the conference. And afterwards, she came up to him, and she was so happy to be there. She goes, man, you just can't believe how I wanted to be here. I just, I wanted to be here so bad, I would do anything to get here. She lived four hours away. She said it was a big challenge for her to be able to attend the conference because she didn't have the money to buy gas to be able to make the drive to the conference. And she thought to herself, if Jesus can turn water into wine, he can turn water into gasoline. And she took her garden hose and she stuck it in the thing, in the fuel tank of her car and she filled up her tank and Chuck Smith was standing there and his mouth just dropped open. And what was he to say to this woman who obviously made it to the conference? Jesus alters matter. He can change the elements. He can, if he can create something from nothing, then changing it is easy peasy. In this account of Jesus and the wedding in Cana, we read that there were six stone water pots used for hand washing. Now, in ancient times, people used their hands to eat. You know, when my kids were little, we were teaching them etiquette, how to use utensils, right? I think it was Tara. She was using her fingers one day. We said, Tara, don't do that. She goes, no, I want to eat like grandma. <laughs> you know, it wasn't too long ago, even in our own culture, previous generations, where that was so common, wasn't it? But because it was that way back in Jesus' day, hand washing, having the ability to wash hands was very important. And these were not just any old water pots. These were stone water pots. And in their day, clay, clay water pots were very common. But, stone water, but a stone water pot was very difficult to make. Number one, you had to get a boulder. Now remember, these could hold 20 to 30 gallons. So imagine how big that is. And you've got to get a boulder, and you've got to start chipping it, and then you've got to start chipping it on the inside and hollowing it out. And you've got to have skill to be able to do that in such a way that you don't crack it or break it in the process because then your months of work is toast. These were very expensive. In their day, if you could buy, let's say, a clay water pot for $7, a stone water pot was like $7,000. And then to be able to transfer it to a wedding, you had to have a camel that was strong enough to carry two and a special saddle and make sure that you were on a route where they wouldn't get bumped or cracked on the way and carefully bring them and escort them to the wedding. In our day and age, the equivalent might be something like going to a very extravagant wedding where transportation has been arranged for the guests of honor and the entourage. And so parked outside the reception are six stretch limos. That would be the equivalent of what it was like to have these six stone water pots at the wedding in Cana. It's interesting that Jesus' first miracle was performed at a wedding. As I mentioned earlier, this is the first of many stories revealing that Jesus was welcomed among those who were having a good time. He didn't spoil the party. Now, this is not to say that just because Jesus turned water into wine that uh, it's okay to indulge, if you know what I mean. The Bible presents a healthy and balanced view about wine. Proverbs 20 says, wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. In other words, alcohol can cause fights, can it not? You know, in the first small group that I ever facilitated, 
I was in college and I was invited, challenged to lead my first Bible study. And so I got two friends that were in my dorm to join me. And we were talking about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I read Ephesians 5.18, which says, Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so I said to these two guys, which like to party a lot, What does this verse mean? And they said, Don't get drunk, man. I said, Yeah? Good answer. (laughs) On the other hand, the Bible also reveals that wine is a sign of celebration and joy. The Bible presents both experiences. So what's the lesson here? Ecclesiastes 17 says, The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. That's the lesson here. A wedding is symbolic. It's symbolic of what will happen at the end of time when Jesus comes for his bride and there'll be a great wedding feast in heaven. Wine is symbolic of celebration and joy. In the Old Testament, Moses ushered in the Old Covenant. In the New Testament, Jesus ushered in the New Covenant. The first sign that Moses and Jesus performed at the beginning of rescuing God's people from slavery were these. Turning the water of the Nile into blood was the beginning of God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt. And turning the water into wine was the beginning of God rescuing his people from slavery to sin and death. In the Old Testament, God told Moses, I have heard the cry of my people and I have come to deliver them. In the New Testament, Jesus had compassion, and he responded to a need. Jesus had compassion, and he responded to a need. And I want you to know that he's the same today. There are needs that are right here, right now, in your life. And God cares. And he can do a miracle. How many of us need a miracle from God? At the wedding party, they were running out of wine. What is it that you're running out of? Where is it that life seems to demand more than what you have? And this is the place where Jesus wants to meet you through your need. Some of us think miracles only happen for super spiritual people. Did you notice Who was aware of the miracle in the story about the wedding in Cana? Who knew what actually happened? Jesus didn't gather the honored guests. He didn't gather the wedding entourage. And he he didn't say, now, ladies and gentlemen, for my next act. He didn't do anything like that. He just went to the servants. These were like the waitresses and the waiters who were tending the tables. And he said to them, fill those stone water pots and then take and dip out and go give it to the master of ceremonies. Only the servants knew. Isn't that so typical of God to do something amazing in a humble way? We don't have to be somebody super spiritual in order to experience a miracle. All we need to do is invite Jesus. All we need to do is involve Jesus in our situation. 
All we need to do is whatever he tells us to do. And then watch and wait and see what God will do. I guarantee you, if you do that, if you do that in faith, trusting him, you will be amazed. Jesus cares, and he wants to meet you through your need. But keep in mind that meeting the need is only a sign. It's not the destination. The sign is leading you to experience God himself. That's the goal when God is at work in our lives. Amen? When the disciples experienced God, the very last verse, verse 11, says they believed in him. You know, it's very common that we have to experience something out of the ordinary in order to realize that God is here and that God is real and that God loves us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you're here and that you desire to interact with us because you love us. Lord, I thank you that you're in the process of making yourself known, making yourself real. And I pray for each one of us, God, that you would take us up to the next level and that you would open the eyes of our heart and that you would, you, you would enable us to be able to perceive you, to sense your presence and your work, to be able to hear your voice and to be able to respond to you Lord, and draw near to you. I'd like to invite you to take a moment just to take some time alone with God and just to recognize what is the need in your life. And I want to give you an opportunity to involve Jesus, to turn to him, to rely on him, to ask him, to trust him, to be at work in whatever that need is. So if you would take a moment in the privacy of your heart to talk to God. And as you open up to him in this area of need, I also want to invite you to make a commitment to do whatever it is that he tells you. That's a prerequisite to be able to experience God, to have faith, to trust, and to obey. Sometimes that can be a little scary. There's the fear of the unknown. But I want to remind you and encourage you that God loves you. He won't do anything that is not ultimately for your good. He wants to bless you. So I want to encourage you to push beyond the doubt and the unbelief and say yes to God. And whatever it is, he may be leading you to do. All right, let's pray. Okay. Father God, I'm here. Lord, I, I hear you. I sense your presence. I, I realize that you're getting my attention. And God, today I'm saying, yes, I want to know you. I want to experience you. Lord, I'm realizing I even need you, and I, I want 
you in my life. And so, God, I'm today making a choice to open up my mind and my heart. And I invite your spirit to come into mine and to be with me. God, I ask that you would reveal yourself to me. And Lord, I apologize for the hurtful things that I have done to myself, to other people, but mostly my relationship with you. God, I thank you for Jesus who forgave me through his work on the cross. And today I accept Jesus and what he did for me. And I invite him into my life. And God, I receive your forgiveness for me. And I just sense the angels in heaven rejoicing right now as some of you are making this decision to receive him and his forgiveness. It's for you. Just want to invite you to take it, receive it. This is the very reason that he came, so that you could experience him. This is your miracle moment right now. Just let the Holy Spirit come into yours so that you can live with God forever. Father, I thank you for what you're doing now. I thank you for coming into my life. Lord, I ask that you would seal your work in my heart and that you would give me a new start. Lord, a new life. God, would you show me how to live your way because my way hasn't been working so good. And God, I just kind of lay down the way I've been doing life. And God, I, I choose to be teachable and open to you and ask you to show me how does this thing called life work. Lord, I thank you for forgiving me and coming into my life. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.